Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 15, My Favorite Year. Chris McBrien here, Yancey Eaton, along with me as always. Welcome to the podcast. Yancey, we've been saying lately that every time when we when we come in to do a show, one of the things that we want to do is to make sure that in the past week we've done some homework. Like we've done something new or we've watched something kind of different or whatever. So uh, so have you done anything last week? Anything anything you want to talk about that uh, that's kind of different? Yeah, I did. Um, one of my favorite TV shows, It's it, it only has two seasons and there's only a handful of episodes, but uh, it's called Black Mirror. I think I've mentioned it to you before. It's kind of like a look at like the very near future and like how like technology kind of like shapes like what's going on. And it's almost like this like really dark, twisted look at like what technology could potentially take us to. Uh, they just released the new season on Netflix yesterday. So I'm all about that life. My wife and I are watching it together. And so uh, really looking forward to finishing that up. And I'll probably end up watching it. You know, like I said, it's only half a dozen episodes and I'll I'll maybe see it two or three times. And then uh, obviously I mentioned last week, Bon Iver's new album. I've still been listening to that a lot. And uh, the Kings of Leon came out with a new album too that I'm, I've kind of been checking out. Not nearly as good as their last stuff, but uh, for the most part, that's that's basically just what I've been getting into. What about you? Uh, for me, uh, my wife has been binge watching Grey's Anatomy on Netflix. Uh, so <laughs> she she likes Patrick Dempsey. She thinks he's a hottie, right? So so we got talking the other day, and I mentioned how Patrick Dempsey used to play really nerdy parts. Like so, this past week we decided that we would watch Can't Buy Me Love from 1987 and if you're not familiar with it Patrick Dempsey's in it and he plays this nerd this teenage nerd who cuts lawns and then like, he saves up a bunch of money and like the most popular girl in school needs money for something so uh, he helps her out and he gives her money in return for her to pretend that they're dating so that you know so that he can get in with the popular crowd you know and not be a nerd anymore uh-huh. and I gotta tell you I generally really really like comedies from the 1980s uh, especially teen comedies like there's raunchy ones like Porky's and Private Lessons and that kind of stuff and like there's some realistic ones like pretty much anything John Hughes does so I was really really hoping I had I mean I had seen this movie like 30 years ago right I was really hoping that this one sort of might have stood up because uh, like I say I hadn't seen it in a long time but it didn't uh, it wasn't very good well, that's so, unfortunate. Yeah. What a letdown. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Seth Green is in it, too. He plays uh, Dempsey's little brother, and he's, he's pretty funny in it, too. But it's, it's just kind of a one-note movie. Uh, De- Dempsey, he wasn't bad in it. I mean, like, it, it's, it, let's be honest. It's not easy to carry a film, you know, even a subpar 80s movie. But mm-hmm. overall, the movie, it just wasn't very great. You know, like, I think, like, some of the 80s comedies, to me, have an inherent quality of rewatchability. If that's even a word, I don't know. But, you know, you think of movies like Sixteen Candles, Caddyshack, Revenge of the Nerds. Like, those are movies you can watch over and over and over again. But this one wasn't wasn't one of those. Like, at least, you know. But uh, you know what? At least one thing that I did learn, I came away learning a very valuable lesson in life. Uh, any guess what that might be watching this movie, Yancey? Uh, none, having not seen it, no. What lesson did you learn? You can't buy me love. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. We've got Avatar, Titanic, T2. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. But here's the spin on it. Which I've never actually seen True Life. The best scene in the movie isn't CG because it's with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Toy Story 3 made me cry. That's the one with uh, with Tom Cruise, right? Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Imagination is where the real power is. When it comes to movie magic... Okay, so uh, this week we decided what we were going to do is we were each going to think about 
our favorite year in terms of pop culture. And then we thought, you know, we could maybe like talk about some of the things that went on that year, why it's so special to us, why it's so influential. Um, and funny enough, I just I was, I was coming in to do the show tonight uh, before I jump in the studio. My wife says, oh, what are you doing the show on this week? I said, it's going to do it on my favorite year. She's like, I hate that movie. So it's there's a movie from 1982 <laughs> called My Favorite Year, and I love it. It's awesome. It was directed by Richard Benjamin and like Peter O'Toole's in it, Mark Lynn Baker, even Lainey Kazan. She was really, really good in it. And Joseph Bologna. Oh, it's it's such a great movie. It's it's like all the behind the scenes of live television in the 50s, right? Hmm. And it's kind of like – it's kind of like a – Kind of like Sid Caesar's your your show of shows. It's kind of like a show like that. It's like King Kaiser. It's a, like it's a real take spoof on it, and then it goes behind the scenes, and then and their guest star. It's kind of like a Saturday Night Live kind of kind of show, okay? And mm-hmm. their guest that week is played by Peter O'Toole. He's Alan Swan. He's this movie star, and um, and he's drunk all the time. So this young guy is put in charge of making sure he stays sober and shows up to all the rehearsals and it's really really good my wife hates it but anyway totally off on another tangent as always so we decided we're going to talk about our favorite year in pop culture so yancy you want to start us off just mention what your favorite year is and then maybe just give us just a general idea of the year and then we'll kind of from there i'll tell you mine and then we'll kind of really get into like tv movies music all that kind of stuff so what's your year Okay, obligatory uh, precursor to this. Uh, Whenever you first sent over the the show idea, and uh, I instantly was like, oh, you know, I'll definitely do 1999. It's, you know, I've mentioned it two or three times. It's obviously my favorite. And I didn't really give myself the opportunity to kind of look back, you know, through multiple years and kind of gather, you know, and almost do like a ranking and, you know, like a pros, cons list, whatever. I just immediately jumped at 1999, and I told you that's what I was doing so you could prepare trivia questions for later in the show. Um... I kind of wish I would have been a little bit more patient and not jump the gun on that. Um, I still like 1999 as a year. Yeah, because you always mention yeah. 1999 as kind of your your year, right? Right, right. But having really done like a thorough examination of it, whenever you look at like the main pillars of pop culture, you know, obviously you're talking about movies, you're talking about books, mm-hmm. you're talking about music. Um, it is 1999 is a year that is just is amazing as far as movies go, but as far as music (laughs) it's just one of the worst years i think in the last hundred years as far as culture goes just unbelievably disappointing really good tv shows came out like i said really good movies but just from a music you know landscape it is barren and it's really really pathetic but so i'm gonna talk about 1999 like i said I, i wish retroactively i could have gone back in and maybe done a little bit more homework and find something that made more sense but for tonight we're gonna we're gonna talk the hell out of 1999 Mm-hmm. And well, like you definitely like the movies, that's for sure. Because you've mentioned that multiple times, and we've you know Correct. played that up a lot of times too. You really like the movies from that time. You know, as we often say here on the podcast, I you know I always say this over and over. I think in order to really appreciate pop culture of any given time in history, it it helps to understand the time in which the pop culture was born. My favorite year was 1981. And if you think back to that time, um, we were still at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. Um, the 52 U.S. hostages were just freed you know, from Iran. Ronald Reagan came into power in January of that year. He was shot in the chest, too, in March. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and the funny thing is, you know, even that when you talk about politics, there's a sort of twisted pop culture spin on his assassination attempt because John Hinckley Jr., the guy that shot him, claimed that he was inspired by the film Taxi Driver. And he said that he was trying to impress Jodie Foster when he shot the president. So, you know, other things like the, the country was in probably the worst, not probably, it was in the worst economic recession probably seen since the Great Depression. It was a really dicey time, you know, but 1981, 
when I look back on it, I just think it was just a fantastic year in terms of TV, in terms of music, in terms of movies. And so, yeah, we're going to get into that tonight for sure. Um, I think something else that's maybe interesting that that's just sort of just come to my mind. So if your favorite year is 1999 and my favorite year is 1981, the one thing that both those years have in common, we were both 11 years old. No way. So I just wonder if... Did we mean to do that? that no, is so- no. I, I can just you think because you were born in... In eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eight. So yeah. you were eleven, I was eleven in, in eighty one. I wonder like if we if just we put it out there, like, I wonder how many people that are listening, if they actually think about it and they and if they you know say they sort of challenge themselves and think, Oh, what's my favorite year in pop culture ever? I wonder how many would be around that age of like eleven, twelve. You know, because that's when you kind of really start to be influenced by pop culture. And that's the first time you kind of experience start watching T V shows, watching movies, you know what I mean? And I just wonder mm-hmm. yeah. I wonder if that's it's just something that dawned on me that I thought was interesting. But uh, uh, so, what do you want to start with? You want to start with music? You want to start with TV shows, movies? Which one? Of, which one of those you want to start with? I mean, we can start with. Let, let, let's start with the uh, with the worst, so we can end on a positive note. Okay, so the Mus- music. All right, sounds good. Okay, so right. music okay. from '99. So just looking up like the the five. Let's look at the top five singles of 1999. Okay, let's start at five and go down to one. At number five, it was I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Oh. Obviously, like, we're wrapped up in, like, this whole boy band era this time, and a lot of that song, you know, that, that type of, of music, and it doesn't hold up. That genre doesn't hold up. The boy band scene doesn't hold up critically or, you know, commercially. Like, nobody still listens to Backstreet Boys, I don't think. Um, at number four, it was No Scrubs by TLC, which I still kind of like, but, again, you, you're kind of getting, like, the, the general feel here. The song Blue by Eiffel 65, like, the, like, weirdish techno dance kind of song mambo number five is number two oh, yeah. and then britney spears with baby one more time that was the number one single of 1999 that's the state of like music in 1999 even looking back at other um you know i went back and looked on pitchfork and i read some other articles on like treble zine and flavor wire and uh uh billboard you know just reading just trying to like drum up like what are the albums that people are really talking about a lot you know because obviously being 11 years old you're not going to remember everything and i mean the best albums of the year were good albums that I do like, like, you know, Sigaross or this uh, this really, really good indie band from Iceland that I've been in love with forever or Built to Spill, Rage Against the Machine had a really good album out. But for the most part, it was a really off year for music, which is just like incredibly, incredibly disappointing. Uh, for me, for 1981, the music, uh, I think it starts and ends with um, not even a song or anything. Um, in August, on August 1st, 1981, MTV was launched. And mm-hmm. unlike what it's sort of morphed into, and, and probably, you know, maybe the only way millennials have ever really known it, um, MTV used to actually play music videos. <laughs> you know, it wasn't all crappy reality TV like it is now, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the decade of the 80s, it became known for music videos um, and pretty much all because of MTV. And, and I got to mention the Canadian counterpart, Much Music, as well. Uh, when I was a kid, I loved watching Much Music. Uh, the VJs were great. The videos were great. Um, but uh, some of the songs that were popular in, like, 1981, I tell like, it was funny because, you know, Cool in the Gang came out with Celebration. And there was, like, Dolly Parton doing 9 to 5. Um, you know, Juice Newton had a couple of big hits. But things like Jesse's Girl and things like that. Um, Betty Davis Eyes was the biggest, you know, song of the year that year. Kim Carnes. Uh, she's a one-hit wonder, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, even Don't Stop Believing by Journey came out in 81. Tainted Love by Soft Cell. So there was some good stuff. But I tell you what, like, although, the, you know, if you just look at sort of the billboard, sort of hot, you know, and you look at the charts, right, for the year, that tells one story. But for me, 
Some of my few favorite music from 1981 weren't even on the Billboard charts because I like things like ACDC, For Those About to Rock, came out, We Salute You. Um, Ozzy Osbourne's Diary of a Madman came out. And Triumph, my, one of my favorite bands of all time, Canadian band Triumph, came out with Allied Forces. So, Of course you'd be a Triumph fan. I don't know why I never made that connection, but I'm actually, I, I even like them. Oh, so. you do? Oh, wow, that's yes. amazing. Because a lot, some people I talk to, especially some Americans, are like, Triumph, I'm not really familiar with them that much. Because, you know, mm-hmm. they're kind of like this progressive rock band that came out. And, they you know, they kind of peaked with Thunder 7 in 84. Um, I actually went to see them in concert in 84. And funny enough, I in, in in a couple of weeks, uh, my wife and I are actually going to go see Rick Emmett in concert. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, Triumph was was big then. So like I say, I liked a lot some of the harder stuff that was kind of like off the charts. But um, I still, when I think back, like there was some there were some pretty good songs, you know, and and some of them were for movies too. Like Endless Love was really popular and things like that. But uh, overall, I thought that I thought the year was pretty good for for music. There was there was definitely um, a wide range. Uh, that was available at that time, and uh, and I liked a little bit of everything. So I don't know. I thought the music was okay. What about uh, you? Want to go into like TV or movies? What do you want to do next? Yeah, let's talk about TV. TV was pretty good. So uh, TV in 1999. R- remind us about uh, about your favorite. <laughs> so there's there's two things going on. There were several shows out that were like the most popular shows, like um, ER and Frasier and Friends. You know, like the really big franchises that had already been around for a couple of years, and those kind of dominated. Um, you still didn't have nearly as many channels as you do now, so it was a lot more condensed. But uh, there were still you know multiple channels and stuff like that for people to watch. But those were the big ones. Uh, but what's more interesting about 1999 was the shows that made their debuts. Um, you and I have talked in depth about our love for Freaks and Geeks. It's still on Netflix. Oh, yeah. You guys should go watch it. Freaks and Geeks debuted, and nobody watched it, which is just really disheartening. Um, I, I think if it were to come out today, which I know that's impossible, but if they were to release that today, I think it would have found its niche audience, and it would have been uh, it would have been able to sustain itself. They would have found a, a viewership for it, basically. But not only did that show come out, but also The West Wing, The Sopranos, yeah. Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I remember watching that with my family, like, at, you know, every single episode for a year and a half, basically. We would watch that together. Um, even animated shows like Family Guy and SpongeBob SquarePants came out. And, you know, all these shows, obviously, are, with, with the exception of being Freaks and Geeks, are still in the air. Well, West Wing, I, I think, is done, too. But you see what I'm saying? Um, like, just really, really crazy, like, best of all time list as far as TV shows go all came out in that year, which is just really, really insane. Yeah, for me, uh, 81 was amazing. See, it was a, a bit, such a different time because scripted TV, you know, was the only thing going. There was no reality TV. The only thing you would even call reality TV back in 81 might have been like 60 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's what reality TV was, right? Like, news. But, um, oh, man, TV was great back when I was in it, when I was that age like the, at the time there was things like Three's Company and the Jeffersons was still going strong there was Too Close for Comfort with Ted Knight um, One Day at a Time MASH was still going strong The Love Boat you know and then there was like like more drama so like The Dukes of Hazard and Magnum P.I. but uh, even shows like like Different Strokes was still good Alice was another one um, but yeah you mentioned something that I thought was interesting was shows that debuted in your favorite year and for me The Greatest American Hero debuted in 1981 and if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with that show at all I think it's available on Netflix um, William Cat is in it and he plays this guy that finds this suit and then he puts it on and realizes it gives him superpowers and he can but he's not really good at them so he kind of flies but then like flies into like billboards and stuff like that because he's not very mm-hmm. good with it um, and Hill Street Blues debuted in 1981 um, one TV show that debuted in 1981 that's still around is Entertainment Tonight and, really? Uh, yeah, it started that year and um, one of my favorite 
TV shows of all time. It was very, very short-lived, but when I was a kid, I just thought it was so great, was with Lee Majors, and it was called The Fall Guy, and it debuted in 1981, and in it, he plays um, a stuntman, so he's a movie stuntman, right? And he sings the opening theme, which is just dynamite. Um, I'll send you the link to it. It's it's available on YouTube, and uh, so he's a, he's a stuntman in the movies, but, it, you know, he did, you know, I guess it's not really paying the bills, so in his spare time, he's also a bounty hunter. And, and it's, yeah, he's a bounty hunter and he goes and like tracks people down and brings them in. And it was an hour long drama show. It was pretty good. I remember my best friend when I was 11, that was his favorite show. It was just so funny. So, uh, yeah. So I think there was lots of good things on another thing we had on TV back in 1981 that we don't have anymore though. It was Saturday morning cartoons. Because mm-hmm. like like now with the advent of like, you know, the, the Teletoon and all these, you know, cartoon networks that are available on cable, Saturday morning cartoons died. Right. But Man, oh man, I tell you, back in 81, I, oh man, I would get up every Saturday morning, get up, I'd have a big bowl of sugary cereal, you know, um, like, like crunch berries or something like that. You know, I, I still love crunch berries, you know that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and just as an aside, as I've mentioned to you on our previous podcast, you, by the way, you cannot get crunch berries in Canada. So NAFTA's been around since 89, but still no crunch berries. So just a total travesty. But uh, anyway, so I used to finish up my cereal. And not, then, to, not to interrupt you real quick, but yeah. NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, is not something I thought was going to make its way into this show tonight. I know. Go figure. But, you know, you got to, you know, I, I think it should have opened the door to crunch berries being able to come into my country. But it doesn't work. Go figure. Um, but anyway, so as a little kid, I'd eat all this sugary cereal and then I'd race downstairs and I would get in front of the TV and I'd watch cartoons all morning. And... I, oh man, I watched a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. I I watched a lot more when I was like younger, like when I was like seven and eight. But even at 11 in 1981, I would still watch shows like there was like Spider-Man and his amazing friends and all these kind of shows. It was great. There was a couple that were based on like TV shows. There was like Fawns and the Happy Days Gang, Laverne and Shirley and the Army and all these cartoons. And like, oh man, I tell you. So so one of the things that sticks with me from from 1981 was that there was Saturday morning cartoons. So that was pretty cool. So um, what about, now obviously, the year in movies is big for you. So uh, so tell us a little bit about 1999 in, in terms of film. Okay. I really need to talk about other things aside from The Matrix. Um, but <laughs> yep. obviously, uh, the, the Star Wars franchise was rebooted. Of course, Episode 1 wasn't fantastic, but it was still a Star Wars movie that I could get excited about. Um, I was 11 years old to where, like, I... I grew up with Toy Story being like the movie, like the ultimate movie. And then of course, Toy Story 2 came out. I was 11 years old, so I was still, I was kind of like in that awkward age where I wasn't really a kid anymore, but like I still definitely wanted to see the sequel to that. Um, Tarzan came out, like one of the most underrated Disney movies, I think. It's just a really, really good movie. Um, And then you started seeing like some of like the the, the bigger ones, like The Sixth Sense, The Blair Witch Project. Um, You know, we've talked about those a million times, but um, really, it, it almost felt like a year for kind of like banner franchises, like the Mummy. The Mummy coming out was like really, really unusual. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones off the top of my head. Like we, we've talked about Office Space, we've talked about Fight Club, we've a lot of like really, really just Deuce you know, Bigelow, move, Male Gigolo, Deuce Bigelow, Austin Powers. Like there were so many. You you would you would actually expect there to be more kind of like doomsday scenario, like apocalyptic end of the world movies, and. I think more so if you look at like the top lists of you know highest grossing and critically acclaimed films of that time of that year rather it was like it, there was a lot more optimism in them than you would think there would be for all these people thinking that the world's going to end if that makes sense you know what I mean mm-hmm. like there was like this really weird mix of just like over the top cheesiness and comedies and stuff but also you know you, you did have your really dark movies like The Sixth Sense and stuff like that but um I mean I think from a just from a death standpoint 
that one year holds up, I think, with any individual year. I'm not saying it was the best year, you know, as far as movies at the very, very top. But, I mean, there were literally 50 to 100 movies that, I mean, if you had to put in the canon of, like, the the 500 greatest movies of all time, I think they could make a, a legitimate case for it. Uh, for me, one of the reasons why 1981 is my favorite year is because of the movies. Um, my, I've, I've mentioned before my favorite movie of all time is Star Wars. My second favorite is Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it came out in 1981. Phenomenal, phenomenal movie. But there were some other good ones, too, like Superman 2 came out. And I know we've talked before on, on, on the podcast how you know sequels are always in you know very inferior to the original uh, here's mm-hmm. here's one case where that wasn't the case so superman the motion picture came out in 1978 and it was okay you know what superman 2 was phenomenal it was way better than the original um even like if you want to look at comedies like stripes man it was so so good and even other like dramas like even on golden pond oh, i thought was really good arthur is a movie that is phenomenal if you only know arthur as that crap fest that they made with uh with oh what's his face Russell Brand you've got to watch the original with Dudley Moore it is it will blow you away it is so 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 phenomenal uh, one of the comedies I really loved out of that year too was the Cannonball Run oh my god Burt Reynolds at the time was a huge movie star believe it or not and the Cannonball Run is like this cheesy you know movie where these guys are like racing across the country to see who can get there first and oh god it was good even uh, for your eyes only so for me at 11 years old when I saw for your eyes only Roger Moore he he's the definitive bond in my mind because you know that's kind of who I grew up with and um, that's for sure but you know even a movie like Reds came out so you know like that's got to be a tough movie to make I mean Reagan just comes into power you know he's talking real tough against the Soviet Union and then Warren Beatty goes and makes a movie sympathetic to the Russians you know what I mean like um, mm-hmm. ah, there's, but you know some of my really favorite movies that year Time Bandits came out Heavy Metal History of the World Part 1 was phenomenal Mel Brooks movie. And then, like I mentioned briefly before, there were some, like, adult, you know, kind of comedies that came out, like Porky's and Private Lessons. There was even a movie called Caveman. You probably didn't even know it existed with Ringo Starr, where Ringo Starr plays a caveman, and they hardly speak any English in it at all, but it was, like, a cheesy comedy. SOB is another one that I think is a very underrated film from 81. I really like that one a lot. Um... That, and then not only like was it it was kind of like an insider comedy and kind of like a uh, like almost a satire of Hollywood and kind of how Hollywood operates and all these guys operate but uh, Julie Andrews also did it uh, because she was known as you know Mary Poppins and you know she was like you know good and clean and you know and she did a topless scene in the movie to really punch up the the, the whole idea Neighbors came out with Belushi that year I thought it was great um, even there's a movie called Saturday the 14th with Richard Benjamin oh man Modern Problems with Chevy Chase there was the thing was R-rated comedies were a staple back in 19 I was gonna say a lot of these yeah. a lot of these sound like comedies they are oh there was a lot but the thing was R-rated comedies were a staple back in those days and I'm pretty much a fan of almost all of them we mentioned at the top of the show you know I didn't really like when I went back and watched Can't Find Me Love but a lot of like those R-rated comedies from the 80s man are they good they're so good and the thing is they just don't make them anymore and I think a lot of it has to do with trying to maximize the box office take you know like and, and, and you think of it an R rating automatically excludes teens right mm-hmm. and they make up a huge chunk of the movie going public so um there was a period of time when r-rated comedies were just like you know they almost went extinct for a little while there and it's it, interesting that you would bring up that point though not to cut you off but like yeah. with with deadpool recently coming out right they were that that 
that project got pushed back and canceled and shot down just literally dozens and dozens of times. And they kept saying, you know, like it's 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 a comic book movie and we're afraid that like parents won't bring their kids to see it. And, you know, so it just never got made. And, you know, there were there were all these studios that wanted to have their hand in it and actors and actresses that wanted to have their hand in it. But, you know, these these companies don't want to put up this money because they're operating under the assumption that, like I said, uh, you know, some mom isn't going to let her eight-year-old son go see Deadpool. But they didn't realize that, like you said, in the 80s, this was such a prevalent genre that there were people who were going to support that. And Deadpool was like one of the highest grossing films of, what was it, last year or two years ago? You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. there is a real market for it. And it's a shame that it's not more of a, of a thing. Like, I like seeing comic book movies that you know, they cuss and there's adult themes and stuff like that. I'm an adult. I enjoy that stuff. And, and especially from a, from a, from a comedy perspective. And I would say from 95 to 2005 for a good 10 year chunk, like I, like I was mentioning, like already comedies pretty much went the way of the dinosaur. They, they were mm-hmm. not around and because, because of that reason. And it wasn't really until 2005 when <clears throat> the 40 year old virgin and wedding crashers came out oh, yeah. and, and they kind of made the genre viable again. Right. But I tell you back in the eighties, man, R rated comedies, they were popular. And the thing, the thing was too, and I think this is really important for anybody that's a Gen Xer that grew up during that time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those movies were pretty much like a rite of passage for young people like myself that grew up at that time. So they were really, really important. And one of the big reasons why I love 1981 so much. Lots of stuff there, obviously, music, you know, TV shows, all that stuff, movies especially. Um, but anyway, what our show would not be complete if we didn't play a nice, fun round of Fun with Yancey. Okay, so this week what I decided, what I thought what might be a kind of a fun thing to do, Yancey, was you, you know, I usually mess with the millennial as I like to call this segment right mm-hmm. but what I thought I would do this week is instead <clears throat> why don't you ask me some questions trivia questions about my favorite year 1981 and I'll ask you some questions about your favorite year 1999 what do you think of that I think that's fair I think I think that is something that I can do <laughs> okay so let's do that so so <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some questions about 1999 so I'll start off first all right I'll, okay uh, yes. so okay so very, very simple, simple question. We've talked about movies already. You've mentioned all kinds of them. But in 1999, which film won the Oscar for Best Picture? Oh, um, is it some weird film? Is it The Sixth Sense? I'm just going to guess and say Sixth Sense. No, I'm sorry. No? It was American Beauty. Oh, that's a travesty. Yes, it was American Beauty one. Now, The Sixth Sense was nominated. And I'll give you a bonus question. I'll give you a bonus one, though, if you can name one of the other three movies that was nominated along with The Sixth Sense and American Beauty. Uh, um, can I? I? I I can't offhand. No, I can't. Uh, the Cider House Rules, The Green Mile, and The Insider were also nominated that year. Oh, okay. Uh, anyway, okay, so uh, Pokemon. Is uh, something that you have, you know, claimed to like, and you know, um, it, it became all the rage, you know, back in that time. But uh, this toy actually was more popular than Pokemon in 1999, with over 14 million sold in the U.S. alone. This toy dominated the pop culture landscape in 1999. Yancey, can you name it? Uh, I'm trying to think if it's it's either a Furby or a Beanie Baby. <laughs> It's a Furby. Uh, it's a Furby. It's a Furby. Yes. Good for you. Nice. Okay. Yes. The most popular TV show of 1999 was maybe surprisingly not Friends or even ER. Instead, this show took the nation and the ratings by storm. Yancey, can you name the most popular TV show from 1999? Is it Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? 
Very good. Yes. yes. Very All clutch. right. Every year, as you know, Billboard magazine comes out with their top hot 100 songs, right? Mm-hmm. Can you name the number one song according to Billboard magazine for 1999? Was it Britney Spears? Baby, one more time. Ooh, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't. It was Believe by Cher. Excuse me? Yes. That's the number one song. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, the Blair Witch Project. You know, we've mentioned yes. that before. You like it. It cost about $60,000 to produce the film. It raked in domestically over $140 million at the box office, so it made it one of the most profitable independent films in the history of cinema. Uh, however, even with all that success, the Blair Witch Project was not the most successful film at the box office in 1999. Here's an easy one. Can you name the movie that made more money than any other movie that year? In 1999, the top grossing film? The top grossing film domestically from 1999 is? Oh, I feel like I knew. You've mentioned it already already on the show so far tonight. Not The Sixth Sense. Nope. Uh, It's Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Oh, that's so stupid. Of course I should have said Star Wars. $474 million domestically. There you go. Oh. Just half a billion dollars. Yeah, no nothing major. No big deal, especially back in 99. So, okay, over to you. So what have you got for me, sir? Okay, so you mentioned uh, Reagan a little bit earlier. Yes. Right? So you're obviously a Canadian, but you're very brushed up on yes. American you know, pop yep. culture and stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, can you name the Prime Minister of Canada in 1981? 1981 was Pierre Trudeau. Pierre Elliott Pierre Trudeau, Trudeau, whose son yeah. now is the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Wow, you you did know that. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. The first space shuttle launched in 1981. Do you know what the name of it was? Uh, it Was it Challenger? It was not. Oh, it was actually the it Columbia. The, it was the Columbia. Okay, yes, you're right. Yep, that was yep. the first year they launched the space shuttle. You're right. Oh, good yep. for you. Yep. All right, next question. You mentioned earlier about MTV. First of all, we're, it's a pop culture show, and I'm getting politics and space travel, so it's all good. Hey, everything is pop culture. <laughs> that's, all the, that's all the pop culture realm. Okay, no, I, I'll take it. Bring it on. All right, all right. Uh, MTV, you said, obviously made its debut on uh, August 1st of 1981. Yeah. The very first song that they played, the very first music video, was Video Killed the Radio Star. Yep. Can you name the second? The second? Oh, I thought you were going to name the band, The Buggles. Uh, so what was the second video that was played on there? Yes. Um, I'm going to take a crack and see. Because the thing at the, at the time, there obviously wasn't a lot of music videos around. So I'll go with, uh, I don't know, Betty Davis Eyes? Nope, it was uh, Pat Benatar's You Better Run. Oh, wow. Yep. Everybody knows the first one. I yeah. even knew the first one whenever I was looking it up. But the yeah. second one, you know, you know, it's like everybody knows Neil Armstrong was the first guy that walked on the moon. You know what I mean? So Blondie had two songs reach number one in 1981. Can you name both singles? Uh, well, one would have been Rapture and the other one would be The Tide is High. Okay. That makes me feel like that was a lot easier than I. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. All right. One of my favorite bands, my favorite classic rock bands, which I'm kind of embarrassed to uh, you know, admit this, but uh, Sticks. They released a very commercially successful album with such hits as Too Much Time on My Hands and The Best of Times. My high school marching band, we actually did a whole halftime show one year off of just this album. Can you name what the album is? Oh, Paradise Theater. Yep. All right. You got the <laughs> ooh, two. Ooh, All right. Last last oh, question. One more. Last okay. Question. Bring it on. Yeah. I know you love Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's, I, you, I do. You talk about it all the time. Okay. Yes, I do like that movie. So, a lot. 
the opening scene in the lost South South American temple is partially based on which classic Disney storyline written by the legendary artist Carl Barks? Oh, goodness gracious. That is a good question that I do not know the answer to. It's actually based off of Disney Ducks. It's where Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck, and his three nephews all avoid similar fates in the South American jungle. Wow, so they so the, the parts of like Satipo and all that were like based on the ducks. It's go figure. literally pulled from Forest a Donald movie. Duck story. Wow. Yeah. Go figure. Who knew? Who would have known that kind of thing? Anyway, so uh, like I say, I'm I'm just curious to know how many people out there, if if you mentioned what their favorite year was for pop culture, if it would have fallen right around that same you know age of like ten. I was thinking of 1982 as well. 82 was a pretty good year too, but uh, 81 was definitely the one for me. And I just wonder how many other people would either you know if they took a look at it, if it would have fallen right around that time when you're that age I, I i tend to think it probably would because it's a very influential time and that sort of thing but uh speaking of time it's all the time we got for this week so it's time to wrap things up so uh so yancy thanks a lot for everything um 1999 hey man you brought it again this week 1981 for me i thought it was really good you know what thanks for listening to pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations thank you for listening to the pop goes your world podcast Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 